Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Tim. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In Season 2, Episode 5, we talk more with the Jasperson brothers about the tools of the trade. Welcome to another episode of the Hearts and Hands podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babler. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew Sonnenberg. Drew, how are things going for you? It's very rainy here. You may be able to hear it in the background on the metal roof, <laughs> but do, doing pretty well. As our listeners know from last week, uh, we did not finish our conversation with the Jasperson brothers yet, so we're going to be getting to more of that this week. But before we do, we wanted to mention, if you get to the end of that and you still want to hear more from them because they're just so fun to listen to, after we were done with our normal conversation, we had stopped recording but kept talking, and Dan said, I feel a rant coming on, and Jason very smartly said, hit record. So he did, and we got this great like 40-minute rant. Well, I mean, it started as a rant, and then we talked some more after that. But it's 40 minutes of just great content. So we put that on our Patreon page for anyone who backs at at least the $3 tier. You can listen to that. It's up there right now. You can go check it out. But it's great. I, I highly recommend you go listen to that. All right, let's get back into that interview. You know, I a couple days ago, Jason and I were talking, and I asked him, how do we tie in the Christian idea? Like where, how does the idea of tools, buying new tools, maintenancing your tools, uh, saving up for tools, researching your tools, how does that fit into a Christian life? And he responded with, it's this idea of stewardship. And I, and I think, you know, Jason and I talked about this and, and so many times stewardship is thought of as, you know, maybe saving money or, or, you know, a very conservative approach to to spending the flip side to it is is investing in the right things at the right time and getting what you need and taking care of them you know my church out here in in wyoming we just installed a new grand piano in our church and it and it's it's beautiful it sounds gorgeous in our space and you know i hear about other churches that they get a new organ installed and it's and it's a huge project it's it's hugely expensive takes a lot of time but i think we all understand the the value of a great instrument in a worship service and so i'd love to hear your thoughts too on on this idea of how do we connect the use of our tools and the purchase of our tools and the role that they play in in a christian life well you pretty much stole all my thunder sorry <laughs> <laughs> That's another way of saying I agree with what you said. <laughs> and yeah, I do, I do think that that plays into, you know, thoughts about when I'm thinking about purchasing a new instrument as well. You know, there's there's almost a different thought process that goes on in my head when I know that I'm going to be using this instrument in worship on a weekly basis. If it was just, you know, I, I own, I don't know, five or six guitars right now. And so, do I really need another one? Probably not. But if I know that this is the one that I would be using every week to to worship God, there's a different mentality and a different thought as far as stewardship goes that that goes into that purchase. And you just stole all my thunder. You're welcome. <laughs> 
I've got a I've got a question for Jason. So the do-it-yourself idea and the the idea of being able to make your own tools or source your materials from other non-conventional places in, you know, not from an art store. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think you have some really interesting uh, examples and, and ideas and ways around that. Well, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And when, when you're a poor art student, you can't, you can't buy the things you desire and so, you know, you're faced with kind of a fork in the road. What do you do? Well, maybe you, you quit wanting those things. Or maybe you save up and make choices. Uh, or maybe you go Jason Bourne and you start, like, dumpster diving. And I guess an older reference is MacGyver. So, so early on in my career, I, I did a lot of thinking and, and tinkering about making my own stuff. And some of it was because there's no art supply stores where I live. And this is pre Amazon. So, you know, I just had to like make do I'd, I'd see something in a library book or, or read about something in history and, you know, kind of piece something together. Now I've, I've often thought that, historically their art art worked differently because of the relationship with the materials around the time of uh, the impressionists late 1800s photography came into being which was a huge sort of shock to the culture of image makers that a machine can now do this thing that humans have been doing for thousands of years and it does it, you know, seemingly, seemingly without pain and quickly. And another thing happened, metal tubes for paint were developed. Manufacturers were, were pre-mixing paint for the first time in history and were able to put it into a container that was resealable and portable. And because of that technology, simple technology... Now we've got painters who are willing to go out, maybe travel on a train, new technology, out into the countryside and do paintings on site. And then we have Impressionism, people who are boldly using color, who are liberal with the amount of paint they'll use, and who will go to places that usually were out of reach. Which, you know, yay, that's, that's neat for them. But the relationship is forever changed. In the Middle Ages, or in the Renaissance, a studio would have to grind its own pigment from minerals, combine it with oil or another binder, uh, and then store it in, like, a pig's bladder. So think, like, sausage casing. And then how do you seal that? Well, they had some sort of like a, a cork plug, but it would never really keep. So, so there's this very uh, kind of intense relationship with the materials in the past. And those materials then were, were treated in a sort of a precious way. And now yeah. when, when things are manufactured and there are so many colors available and they'll keep, 
and they're cheap, your relationship is is not so precious. And I guess that's freeing, but also maybe it might make us a little sloppy with our with our stuff in comparison. Yeah, I think you could say the same thing with music as far as the recording process goes. Mm. Back in the day, if you wanted something that sounded good at all, you had to go to a studio where they had the, the professional equipment and everything. But nowadays, you can sit in your bedroom and make an entire album by yourself, which has its benefits and, like you said, also you know can lead to people getting sloppy or maybe not putting as much thought and intentionality into their recordings as maybe people did back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and good work can be done in either way. I love impressionist paintings and I also love Renaissance paintings, but I think the relationship has changed. Definitely. You know, the, the, uh, the personal recording studio is making me think too, that do we, do we have different expectations or, Culturally, it, uh, maybe production quality is is the term to think about. How do we feel about production quality? In some ways, we we accept less, but in some ways, we demand more. Maybe this is a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when when you think about vines or TikTok, these mm-hmm. these tiny little bits of performance. Uh, we're okay with low production quality. In fact, we kind of reward it. We love it. It's it makes us giggle when when something is just so poor. Yeah. Um, but then we also kind of we have ever ever higher demands for Marvel level effects. That is a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so many thoughts. That seems like a different podcast. I don't know where this fits, but I have a I have a quote that I've been carrying for decades. And I think it's it's part of this. Um, going back to the attitude idea and maybe the subculture idea, it goes like this. A ditch digger recognizes a fool by how poorly he handles a shovel. <laughs> hmm. I, think, I think we just found our opening line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was just listening to another podcast a magician's podcast uh, yesterday. And he was actually talking about, he was commenting on the TikTok, Instagram, YouTube culture of magicians, which is, you know, when you're working on sleight of hand, you, there are certain angles that work and there are angles that don't work. And some moves are better than other moves. And some situations work for this thing. And some situations don't work. And uh, that's part of the performance art is understanding your surroundings and your audience and the, you know, can you pull it off or not? And when you're, when you're shooting something for your Instagram feed, you can do it 80 times. You can shoot it and you can make so many takes of it and you can get the angle exactly right so that it is invisible. I mean, kind of. The thing is, for for sleight of hand artists, it's not about it's not about can somebody see it or not. It's about if you can smell it or not. And I don't mean literally smell it. I mean like, can you sense that it happened? Sure. And and so there's this there's this 
kind of new wave of, of magic that's hit social media that it's almost like juggling. It's like you're showing off this move and on camera, you can't see it. It's invisible on camera. And, but you're also showing off the move. You're juggling it, you know, where if you're using it in real performance, you, nobody should even sense that it happened. It should never have crossed that, that conscious threshold in your audience. So I think that the level of quality that Jason's talking about when it comes to, you know, social media versus uh, a bigger thing, you know, for me, those are two different worlds that it's like, I can do this on social media or like tonight, I'll be heading out onto a real floor with real humans doing, trying to make magic for them. And that's where the rubber hits the road for me, at least as a, as a live performance artist that, you know, I'm going to walk down there with a, with a box full of tools. Actually, I'm only going to use like five of them. The box is mostly for show. Um, (laughs) And so that relationship between my tools, decks of cards and a couple of coins and things like that is, is very important to me that I understand my tools very well. And I know how they feel. I know how they work so that, so that I can try to make magic in the minds of these people because I'm not really a magician right now at this moment. I'm not a magician. I'm, I may be a creative artist, but magic only happens out on the floor with real audiences. So in the present moment, I'm, I'm an artist talking to you guys. And so when I actually step up to try and make my art, the tools are relevant, but more than that, the ideas and the things that I'm trying to create and the impact and the messages that are embedded into these pieces of magic, that's where it is. That's where it really matters. Mm-hmm. The tools are great. The tools are relevant. And I think that Jason works in a similar area. And I think Drew and Tim, you guys do too, that you know the tools are relevant, but that final product that you're actually trying to deliver on, that's the goal, Right. Absolutely. Tools matter if you use them. And um, yeah, that's a that's a great point that it's not about it's not even about you. It's about that objective, that goal, that thing that happens when art hits an audience. It's not even about the object. It's about the effect of the object or the performance. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a piece of magic that. A friend of mine recorded part of my show the other day. He was at my at my show and he he recorded it and he's helping me promo, you know, another show that I'm doing and and he posted this piece of magic that I did and I asked him to take it down because it's uh, it's too good. I don't want it out on social media. <laughs> Sorry. Um but 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 the beautiful thing about that particular piece of magic is that there is no prop there are no props involved there's zero special devices there are zero props i simply have two people on stage sitting in chairs that's it and the whole thing happens with with no use of any special device and i believe it's the most beautiful moment in my show and it's also probably the most talked about moment in the show afterwards people talk to me about that particular piece and and so i i think that you know, sometimes, 
sometimes I love to set down the tools and go to work that way. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I'm envious of singers. Mm. No tools. Yeah, I, that just crossed my mind as well. I was, as you were talking about, uh, or Jason was talking about, the tools only matter in achieving the, the end goal. Thinking about just something that seems as simple as as performing a song or, or leading a congregation in a song. There's, you know, you could talk about the instruments, you could talk about the song itself, how the quality of that song and how well it was written. You could talk about the quality of the arrangement, like how, who, where's the piano going to enter? Are, are there going to be drums or not? And all this, all the different things that go into it that could, you know, make this, this performance of it or the, the, the singing of it with the congregation be very beautiful and very poignant or if even one of those pieces is subpar if you have a, a guitar that doesn't sound good or if you have the arrangement just doesn't serve the song very well it could just ruin the entire experience but yeah then also i was like you had just mentioned you can you can strip it down to just the voice no tools other than just the voice that god gave you which is pretty interesting to think about. In the world of music, do you guys ever feel that your tools get in the way? Yeah, I can answer this because I specifically like to go just strip things way back so many times. Like I have this one, it's like a service in its own that we do. It's called Songs and Stories that I don't plug my guitar in and I maybe play on the piano. Like it's just one instrument and a bunch of voices because if sometimes it's the production is just too much and it doesn't feel genuine always but when you make it just so simple and just like drew said using what god gave us as our talents you know singing for most people and maybe hitting a box drum like i think i think that helps step away from a bigger production and at times be genuine and authentic more than we could in a different setting yeah in my setting i feel like i'm almost forced into this at times because we're, we're in a mission setting so we have we're, we're blessed to have a, a decent amount of musicians based on our size but we still don't have the amount of people to do something like an elevation church is going to do we we just don't have the the money or the people to do a production of that scale and i'm thankful for that because i, I think it's very easy for that to like you were saying to kind of get in the way but since I'm not capable of doing that, I'm forced to think of, well, how can I accomplish the performance of this song if I can't do that big production? And almost, perhaps more importantly, like what what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? I, I'm not trying to just be as big and, and loud as possible. What What do I want to accomplish with this song? What do I want the congregation to walk away from after we sing this song together? Jason, what about you? I mean, you work in a slightly different arena than us, but do you ever feel like your your tools get in the way of a message or a a, a goal like that? Hmm. You know, I spend a lot of time trying to be, because I do different media. Uh, I spend it seems like a ridiculous amount of time making choices about how to express a certain thing. I've got several several projects kind of in sketchbook phases right now and 
you know, they could go a variety of directions. So I don't have a straight answer for you, but just uh, just the idea that it matters, choosing the the medium, whether we like it or not, is part of the art. It's part of, hopefully, it's part of the message. And I know sometimes that gets a bad rap. Uh, don't let the medium be the message. But as a sculptor, I, I've always learned about integrity of materials, that it it not only matters what you're showing, but what it's built from. So if you're using bronze and you, and you cast the exact same thing in clear plastic, it changes. It, it means something else. Or if you make the same thing out of cut up aluminum cans, it feels different. Same shape, same story, but now what it's made of changes how we interpret it. So I guess what I'm saying is I, I do think about the medium and it slows me down quite a bit. I think that was the question. Oh, tools. <laughs> <laughs> same thing. I mean, exact same consideration. The way you use tools can can be part of, like the mark making, the the way the chisel hits. It, it really it all comes down to choices, right? Any expression is a record of a series of choices, and those choices become part of the meaning. That works. Well, I was just thinking about uh, praising tools. I've kind of been down on, you know, like the Jason Bourne thing that you just use what you have. But if we if we think about tools kind of in the scientific definition of mechanical advantage, levers, ramps, that sort of thing, they allow us to do things that we, we couldn't do without them. If I didn't have an easel, I could figure it out, but it would be clumsy. Uh, if I didn't have a drawing table, I, I would survive, but but it would be harder to do. Sand animation really kind of requires that table. So, you know, a good tool, or the printing press, a good tool kind of launches us into new realms. It gives us It gives us something to stand on so we can see further and we can do more. It gives us uh, convenience and tell you what, a, a sharp chisel or a sharp plane going over wood is just a beautiful experience. It, it makes work joyful. The use of tools and the, the understanding of tools and the development of skill is also a blessing from God. You know, that we... Uh, that's what separates us from the animal kingdom in many ways. You know, that's what a lot of people would say is that, well, the use of tools, that's what makes you human. And, and I agree with Jason that, you know, when we, when we look at, I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say. Okay. We, well, yeah, when we look at what we're trying to do and we, we look at trying to improve that message and we, we trying to improve the way that we do it. So many times a good tool will help you do that. And like Jason said, can make it a, a more joyful experience. 
Yeah, I think the parallels to music are, are pretty obvious here. Like, you could write any piece of music just for a choir to sing. Like, they could sing any note that you want them to sing, any combination of notes, and arrange it however you want. But no matter how beautiful of a soprano you are, you can't sound exactly like a violin. There's just something different uh, that tools, that instruments allow you to do that the voice can't. And, I mean, there's even biblical precedent for God asking us to do this. He doesn't just say, sing to the Lord a new song. He also says, praise him with the harp and lyre. Well, I'm a big fan of, of the doctrine of vocation. I think it, it, it's extremely helpful. It ties in with the stewardship ideas. And it just, it helps me to realize that God gives everybody work. And that work is a good thing. Work gets a bad rap nowadays. It, it's like all we want is leisure. But, but I think a meaningful life has that aspect of joy in work. And using our tools properly and, and acquiring good tools and learning how to apply your craft in a masterful way, this is part of a meaningful life that God wants for us. It's part of our vocation regardless of what our position is. That applies to any, any moment and any position in life. Right. Not, not just artistic endeavors. Correct. Well, I think that's about as good a way to wrap it up as there's going to be. So thanks again, guys, for taking the time to talk to us. It's always such a, such a fun time to talk to both of you. It's fun for having us back. Yeah. That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. As always, if you have people you want to hear from or questions you want answers to, feel free to reach out to us at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com or on any social media platform at Wells Creatives. And be sure to check us out on our Patreon page. As mentioned before, you'll want to hear that rant from Dan. It is just amazing. His conversation, the way he talks. Keep listening to the Brothers Jasperson. It'll just light your world on fire. Again, that is patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.